everyone, and welcome to another exciting adventure at the Hub World. Today's quest will have us covering the topic of Pokemon Legends Arceus. My name is Jules, and today our party members are... Mateo. And Gino. Whether you're joining our adventure from YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, be sure to give us a like or a follow. Now, let's get this adventure rolling. We're going to start with an icebreaker. Just a reminder to all of our listeners... Um, if you'd like to request an icebreaker um, through our comments, we will throw it into the hub hat. Um, we are running low. We are in the process of replenishing them, um, but we'd love to have some suggestions from our listeners. So let's grab one here. And our icebreaker today is, what is your favorite indie game? For me, it's an easy one. Undertale. <laughs> very funny the question is most favorite indie game not least favorite so i'm gonna go with steamroll dig 2 image and form made some fantastic metroidvanias with the steamroll dig series and steamroll dig 2 i think in particular like the gameplay loop of that game is fantastic the characters are hilarious and really memorable the abilities are fantastic. I just I just love everything about that game. I really hope SteamWorld Dig 3 comes out soon. So play SteamWorld Dig 2. It's really cheap. It's really fun. And it's by far my most favorite indie game. I have some experience with indie games, not to like the same extent that like Mateo and Jules might. But I have to say some of my favorite games are ones that I can just play and just chill out. When Minecraft was an indie, de- uh, was an indie game, that was my favorite one. But since they got bought by Microsoft, it's a bit of a cop-out. I will have to say it's probably going to be satisfactory just because I can just sit down, play that game for hours, get lost, and still feel like I have more to do. I like those, like, uh, sim kind of games. I'm going to go with satisfactory just because it's fun. And I keep trying to make Riley play it because I think he likes numbers and math. Good choices. I still don't know what satisfaction is. I've heard you talk about it. Satisfactory is kind of like Minecraft in the sense where you're in this barren world and you just make a factory. And you're just optimizing things. So, like, you have to get coal to, like, power uh, your generators and stuff. You generate electricity. You have iron, copper, and all these other resources that you can use to, like, basically, you mine things to craft with, and you craft things to mine with. I have many, many an indie game that I love. But I think I gotta give it to the king, Shovel Knight. It's just too good. I sat at PAX four years in a row playing king knight campaign waiting for that game to come out because of how much i love shovel knight and in the meantime i had replayed the game like seven or eight times i think i've played each campaign like at least three times like i'm a big fan of shovel knight i'm a big fan of its gameplay um and its characters and its music and i think it's really great um but honorable mention for riley's sake is um hollow knight which is also potentially one of the best metroidvanias of all time if I had to give an honorable mention, I would probably have to go with Untitled Goose Game, just because oh, yes. that game is such a blast to play, and like especially in co-op now, like Gino and I play co-op. Single player is a hoot just by itself, but when you add that extra player, it just adds that other element of just pure chaos. It's so fun. Yep. So I got, I would have to go with Untitled Goose Game as an honorable mention. Awesome. That brings us to the end of our icebreaker. Do we have any housekeeping today before we get to our main topic? Yes, we do. Nintendo kind of dropped a bomb on us. They announced that the Wii U and 3DS eShops are going to be closing down in March of 2023. So get on that, anyone. If you want to buy any games digitally, 
I think in May of this year is the last time you can add credit card information. So you have to buy your games, essentially. At least I'm going to be buying my games by May just to get it over with. Like, make your wish list, pick the games you want, download them, because once they're gone, they're gone. And I think someone did, like, I saw estimates somewhere of, like, 1,700 games are being taken off of both stores. And a lot of games cases, these are the only places you can play them. So it's really unfortunate from a game preservation point of view, but I mean, you can still play the game, some of these games physically, even though the prices are going to skyrocket. But like I said, there's some games that you just can't play digitally elsewhere and it sucks for new players into a series or whatever, might not be able to play some games. But I mean, they both systems had a really good run. It was expected, but I don't think this soon. So get on that. I for sure have games I need, I'm going to download and play. I'm just going to bite the bullet. Yeah, uh, Mario and Luigi Partners in Time is on there. And everybody remember, Pokemon Company also announced that Pokemon Bank, the um, old, like for 3DS Pokemon games, the service that allowed you to bring Pokemon forward, and then from Bank you can link them to home to bring them into the new generations. Um, that application will still be supported for the near future, but the only way you're going to be able to access it is if you've downloaded it before. So Pokemon Company has done everybody the favor of making it free. So um, as long as you hit download before the shop closes down next year, um, you'll be good to go and you'll be able to continue to download and continue to transfer your Pokemon until they one day shut down those servers. In general, though, as long as you own the license for the game, you can download them. Like the eShops are still going to run. It's just you won't be able to buy anything new anymore. So you'll be you'll still have the ability to delete games and then re-download them whenever you want. But just in terms of buying new games, you just lose that ability. So you're not losing your digital games. And that's the important thing to remember is like you won't be able to buy anymore, um, which I know is a big bummer. But as long as you get those games now, you'll always have the licenses. So make sure you get on that for anything that you might have been holding out for. Um, especially some of those rarer games like the Mario and Luigi games, um, especially the remakes, Fire Emblem Revelations, Rhythm Heaven, like Metroid Prime Trilogy. Like, there's a lot of games that are going to be tough to find if you don't get them now um, off the Wii U or 3DS eShop. If you go to My Nintendo right now, you'll notice that they've actually revamped the Nintendo Online Store and the My Nintendo Rewards. Not a lot of people knew this, but they had removed the physical rewards for a while. Um, but now they're back, which is great. And there's like kind of a new interface there, which is cool. But if you're listening to this um, coming into the weekend, you can also redeem a code to try out Nintendo Switch Sports this weekend. Um, you do have to do that before it launches this weekend. So going to my Nintendo to do that would be great. I don't actually know when we're uploading this episode. So this information might come too late. But either way, look forward to probably in the next housekeeping us maybe talking about a little bit about that test play because i don't know about you guys but i'll be trying nintendo switch sports the only thing is i i believe it's on the 18th and that's the day horizon forbidden west comes out so is it's just like we sports tennis or we sports bowling so like i don't know if it's anything noteworthy that i would care about if i missed so i might just put that time in horizon instead i don't think it's gonna take much out of me like i'm only gonna play for like 10 minutes 15 minutes and then put it down and play horizon but i do want to try it so the other big piece of news actually i guess it's like multiple announcements was that paramount had a 
conference a few days ago for Paramount Plus service, and they just announced a bunch of projects that are in development for the, uh, both movies and TV shows. So, like, they greenlit a second season of the Halo series before the first episode even aired. And then they also announced Sonic 3. They announced a Knuckles spinoff series on Paramount Plus, among other things that, like, Ninja Turtles and transformers and other like all these properties that they own but there was no avatar announcements which i found a little disgruntling but this knuckles show i think is one of the most surprising things that they announced because they must have a lot of faith in that upcoming sonic movie and idris elba's knuckles is going to debut in that and for them to just give him a series that must be a huge show of faith for the character and for this movie i'm actually really excited about that these announcements did a lot to show consumers that Paramount is taking this very seriously. Like South Park is going to be go- going on there exclusively after a certain point, And Beavis and Butthead as reboot is doing that as well. Like there's so many things coming to Paramount Plus that it's going to be another one of these streaming services that people are going to feel obliged to be subscribed to. I think like the point I'm at with, with Paramount is like, I did the free trial for a month just to like, get south parks two specials that they had out there and i thought that was great but like there was nothing really in there to like pull me onto the service and after all this stuff comes out heck i'll give it a shot was there any other housekeeping that is about it for me well then um let's get to the meat of this sandwich pokemon legends arceus so pokemon legends arceus dropped at this point um a little over two weeks ago we've all played it um, we've all beaten it and we want to talk about it so we have some talking points here to kind of gear our discussion but um the first of which is a simple what were your general impressions what did you like what didn't you like what do you think of this game i think i'd like to start off this one here at the very beginning of pokemon legends arceus when i was just getting like the same normal pokemon like starly and bidoof and stuff don't get me wrong bidoof is absolutely amazing and everyone should have at least 20 but the gameplay at the very beginning of the game was kind of hard to get into, especially coming off of like this long storied tradition of Pokemon games being go to this route, catch this stuff, go to the gym, beat the gym leader, rinse, repeat. Uh, a lot of that stuff. And just like, here's this giant open area. There's level 40, 50 Pokemon running around in the same field as your level three party. It's dangerous. I like it. But it started off a little bit slow. But I found that once I got into the gameplay loop, and I was starting to like buy in more and more to what the Pokemon team wanted me to be experiencing, I had way more fun. And by the the time the second and third area rolled around, I kind of knew what I wanted to do and what I was what I was building towards. And the game blew open and I was having just such a great time with it. Yeah, I'd say like my initial impressions of the game are very similar to you, Gino, where I'm like, eh. I don't know how I necessarily feel about the open world nature of the game, but it definitely grew on me. And I generally think that what I liked most about this game is the fact that it just felt so different. It's such a breath of fresh air into the Pokemon series. And like, there are so many different things that Game Freak can take from this and incorporate into future games but like well i I think that's something we're going to talk about later but and there's like a few small nitpicks here and there like i felt like there wasn't enough initial inventory the game makes every sort of item feel important and like the way you increase your 
storage is just basically buy slots, but eventually it just gets to the point where they just are way too expensive. And then just constantly having to like cycle out things from your inventory and, and deposit them into your item box. Like things like that kind of bothered me. And then the other thing was just like, I felt that in the late game, like in the, cause like full spoilers ahead for Pokemon Legends Arceus, we're not going to hold anything back. I felt the last two areas of the game, the Mount Coronet area and the, ice area they felt very similar to me and eventually like i did kind of get sick and tired of seeing the same pokemon over and over again but in general though i feel like the opening area the obsidian field lands that is maybe one of the best opening areas and it's very very similar to the great plateau honestly it's better than the great plateau that area of the game had everything. It had the water, it had the the mountain sort of hilly area, it had the forest. It had so many different uh, environments and things like that. And I just felt like it did a very good job of showing off what's going to be expected in the game. It's not a mixed bag like people are saying it is. I really think this game is the future of Pokemon. I think they're going to continue making these as side games, at least. But in general, I think this was such a fantastic experience. I can't recommend it enough, especially if you're into open world games. It, like, You don't even need to play a Pokemon game to enjoy this. Yeah, absolutely. I like everything that you both said. I kind of echo. I'm um, at least the positives for sure. I guess I had a different experience, but a similar experience as I started the game. Like, I have this big trend with games in general but like specifically with pokemon games where no matter how bad they are at the start i'm in this like honeymoon phase of like wanting to believe it's the best game ever and i definitely felt that with arceus where i played the first area and i was like trying to convince myself that the game was good but not really feeling it like i was not there and i was like i don't know if this game's good like i want to believe I want to believe it's good, but I don't know if it is. And then by the like second, third area, I was like so sold on the game. And by the end, I was like just in love with it. And I think there is a little bit of a grieving period almost with this game, where if you're coming from the mainline games, there's going to be a portion of the, the early game where you're like grieving the content that's gone. You're grieving like the mechanics and the experience you're used to. And you need to accept this thing that's new. And that was difficult, I think, for a lot of people. So much so that some people didn't buy it or dropped the game very early on and didn't really give it a chance. But you just fall in love with the mechanics. Like, I got to the point where, like, I don't even enter battles with things unless I I absolutely have to. Because I kind of just played it as an action game. And, like, I really enjoyed it. And I've said it since this whole trend of hating on Game Freak started. And I'll continue to say it every single time a Pokemon game comes out. But this game just shows that all of those people out there who have just been crapping on Game Freak since they made the jump to 3D are just completely ignorant of what Game Freak is actually doing. And does this game look visually underwhelming? Yes, some may say so. I still had no problem with the way it looks, but I can absolutely agree that, yes, it looks like a PS3 game. Like, it's not a current-gen game graphics-wise. Can I say that this game has areas that it definitely can improve, Um, especially when it comes to, like, the world itself and the frame rate and the presentation? 100%. Do I think that 
in a perfect world, Game Freak could have spent more time polishing those things up. Absolutely. But when I look at a game like this, and when I look at a game like Sword and Shield, I do genuinely believe the reason those things are shortcomings, like especially like the environments, is because Game Freak is not prioritizing the environments because Pokemon is not about the environments. And if you want a beautiful environment where the gameplay is shallow, go play a Square Enix game. And this is from a big Square Enix fan. Go play a Square Enix game if you're looking for the world to look unbelievably beautiful down to every single brick on the wall, but the gameplay has very little attention to detail because of it. But don't sit here and tell me that Pokemon Company and Game Freak don't put effort into their games because Legends Arceus was beautiful in the way that it approached Pokemon, the same way Let's Go was. There's so much attention to detail. The fact that like if you fall like if you fall off your braviary around a blissey, the blissey will come over to you and like try to like cheer you up. All the animations of like the Pokemon when you let them out of their balls in Jubilife City and the way they sleep, the way they interact with each other, the way they interact with you, the way that like nose pass is always facing north, just like in the lore. The way that different Pokemon react, the ones that are hostile, the ones that are skittish and then the fact that there's like anomalies as well because most machokes are hostile but sometimes you run into one that isn't and he just like kind of stands there and flexes and like you run into all these different things that you can see that there was a lot of care that went into making the monsters feel real and that is what pokemon should be about the number one priority should be effort into portraying the pokemon in a way that feels like they are not just reskinned models of the same thing. They feel like they're natural in that world. Yeah. And if that comes at the cost of the environment, all the power to it. I would much rather have a game that looks like Legends Arceus and has that soul in it than to have a game that looks like Final Fantasy VII Remake that, that's missing that soul. And I'm not saying Final Fantasy VII Remake is missing that soul. I can get into a whole argument about that later. But... I'm just using it as an example. We don't need hyper-realistic graphics for everything. And I think Legends Arceus succeeded in what it did. I really enjoyed it. And the reason, by the way, I focused on this was because I feel like Matteo and Gino both kind of said everything I had to say in a positive way. And what I just wanted to add was like, this reinstated my faith in Game Freak. I let people get to me in the last couple games where I was like questioning, I'm like, are people right? Is Game Freak being lazy? Am I just kind of lying to myself because I want to like these games? Even though I really enjoyed Sword and Shield, even though I really enjoyed Let's Go, I really let this rhetoric that's floating around get to me. And Legends Arceus was the point where I was like, no. I think people are really just at this point, like, if you don't like Game Freak, just don't play Pokemon games anymore. Like, seriously, leave the fandom to the people who are recognizing that there is a lot of soul still left in these games. And this game really has me excited for the future of Pokemon. Going into your point about, like, how they concentrate on specific, like, details of Pokemon and things like that, the side quests of the game, and even, like, the Pokedex itself, a lot of Pokemon, like, I'd say the majority of the Pokemon in the game have a Pokedex entry for like how they interact in the environment. And I found that finding those and doing those side quests were actually really, really fun. Like the one where like the people don't believe each other that there's 
three forms of Burmese. No, this Burmese I've seen has leaves or this Burmese has garbage around it. Like doing those things and then you show oh, these are the Burmese and this is how they behave. And then like how Drifloon interacts with children and, and, and like see how Clefairy interacts with a full moon. Like there's so many things in the world that you can do with the Pokemon. And I feel it adds so much to the game. It adds so much to the lore, I guess, of Pokemon and, and how these Pokemon behave. The attention to detail is very, very, very good. So I stand by that, Jules. Like I didn't feel so hot at the beginning of this game, but by the end, like I love this game. I think it's, it's the freshest Pokemon has been in such a long time. And there's so many, so many things they can take from this and just kick the series into a new gear. Like we said in our 3DS Essentials, where Pokemon X and Y is like the last revolutionary Pokemon game, I think Legends Arceus is probably the newest revolutionary Pokemon game. And the future for Pokemon, for me, and I think we all share this opinion, is as exciting as it's ever been. Yeah, and like even like going on that attention to detail bit and everything, there like even the story quests that have you going back to the uh, albeit new lore entry tabs in Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl to catch uh, the Manaphy and Fioni, the the Sea Princess quest. They added a book into the remake, so you could go into that game, see one of the ancient legends, and then relive the legend and get something rewarding from it as well as they were uh, like reusing some of the older tracks and of the music and everything. And Gen 4 has such a wealth of great music. Like later on in Jubilife Village, if you just stand around the town and wait, it'll actually play the Jubilife City theme, albeit in like a, a remixed form. That one's so good. Yeah. And just like how, even like how the buildings as you're going through the main quest start off as like this very basic thing. And like, there's an extra row of houses that isn't built at the beginning of the game, but like as you go through this game, you are building up Jubilife Village. The shops get better stuff. The NPCs have more dialogue and things with you. The people start to trust you more. As well as just like, oh, you're welcoming a new wave of migrants into Jubilife uh, Village. And then, okay, once you're at the end of the game, all of the shops they look completely different than they did at the beginning of the game. Speaking of the shops and everything as well, as I found uh, in at the beginning of the game, as Mateo was saying before, items were very, very scarce. And it was a pain in the butt to like decide what you wanted to keep and what you didn't want to keep. I found at the end of the game, I just stopped caring and just started buying everything. Yeah. <laughs> is that, pretty is that much. true for anyone else? Yeah. I just ran out of patience, essentially, at the end of the game. I just said, screw it. Money is irrelevant now because... I've bought all the inventory slots I could afford, so I'm just going to put it all into Ultra Balls or Potions, Revives, things like that. And I kind of like that natural progression because I like that you start off where the world's so hostile, you need to craft, you need to collect resources, like, you're scared of these alpha Pokemon, like, even when you run into, like, new Pokemon, you don't necessarily know how to approach them, you might not have the resources to approach them, everything's so, like, hostile and scary, but then by the time you get to the end and you've built a strong team and you've amassed a bunch of wealth, like, the game does become, like, easy like it's like okay i'm just gonna buy pokeballs i'm just gonna buy a bunch of potions i'm not gonna bother with the resource collecting because i'm not living in a hostile world anymore i've done the work i can go fight any alpha pokemon and try to catch it now or or kill it or whatever and it's like i kind of like that natural progression of like you get to see the fruits of your like early game kind of like patience pay off 
And like ultimately, I think that's why like not having Pokemon Home support from the beginning was a good idea because can you imagine somebody just bringing in their level 100 Decidueye and just going through the game from the beginning? Like it would completely like um defeat the purpose of how they designed the game. I'm looking at our talking points like I think we should go into our third talking point right now, which is what we want to see carry over into the main games. Because I feel like a lot of what we're saying already is stuff that we want in the next game. Like, for me, what they did with Pokemon moves in this game is the way that they should handle Pokemon moves going forward. Full stop. Being able to teach Pokemon moves on the fly and like they can interchange them. I think that is so fantastic. And then also the ability to where you just go to one person and just learn moves from them that go into your pool of moves that you can swap out. Like imagine like you go into a gym battle against a psychic gym and then you say, oh, I don't have any moves that are good against psychic Pokemons. But then you just go into your Pokemon's move pool, quickly swap out a fighting move for a bug move or whatever and then go into the gym. I feel like that would be so much more convenient than having to go to a move tutor or the move deleter and and whatever or waste a TM. Like I feel like this is the way to go. Like it just putting the power with the players instead of this archaic system that they've been going on with for generations of games already. Well, if I can speak to that, I think that they can find a nice balance. So one thing I actually don't like is I don't like that there's a character you can go to and be like, teach me moves. Like, I think it worked for this game. I wouldn't want that to carry over into the main game. Yeah, neither would I. But I think what could be a healthy balance between their current system and this old system is I agree with you. I think it would be cool if, you know, from the menu, you don't need to go to a move relearner. You don't have to pay a heart scale like you can access all the moves that you've learned from a menu. You say, like, change moves, and they're all there, and you can change your loadout. And I think what would be cool is if there's still a TM system, and they keep the TM system of, like, TMs don't go away, they're unlimited, is if you have a TM, so let's say I have Psychic, any Pokemon in my party that's compatible with Psychic, when I go to change their moves, that move's already in there. So, like, as you collect TMs, which are new moves and a lot of time powerful moves, they will become available in the the move pools of the Pokemon that they're compatible with when you go to change the moves. So it's like an automatic menuing, where it's, like, already in there, so you go change move. Um, I have a... Sylveon, who can learn Psychic. I don't know if it can, but let's just say it can. I think it can. And I have the Psychic TM, so when I go to change the moves, when I have the list of moves that it's learned, suddenly I also see Psychic is there. Because I have the TM. And it's compatible with that Pokemon. And then that could be a nice way, or if they do want to keep it, you know, more to, um, you need to make like choices, they could just make it where like the TMs are consumable. I use it, let's say, on Sylveon. And it's not that it just learns that move, and if it forgets it, it's gone. It's like now Psychic is permanently added to its pool of moves that it can swap out at any time. I still don't like the idea that TMs can be broken. I liked what they did with Gen 8, where you have TMs and TRs. Like I feel like every yes, I TM agree. that you get should be permanent. They should have, like, in the early game, like, for Pokemon, just say, like, okay, you're going to go out into the field and you get, okay, Flamethrower. In the early game, it's a TM, but after you teach it to a certain number of Pokemon, it just becomes a TM or something like that. You have to like teach a Pokemon the same move like five or six times, just say, or half enough of them in your inventory, just say, to combine them into a TM, and then you can teach it to everyone. Yeah. So you're giving up power at the very beginning of the game 
for power later on. It, it gives the player a little bit yeah. of choice or some agency. But I like that idea actually. Or like for instance, like going back to like the like the dojo kind of idea there. Like after you defeat a gym leader, you can bring your Pokemon to that gym leader, and they can then teach you moves of that type. Like if you're fighting, just say like a grass Pokemon gym, you can go there with your party and then you can learn grass type moves at that gym. And then it gives you a reason to go back to those towns later on in the game. I think the elephant in the room in terms of this game and like, how do you think they would carry this over is the world. Do you think that the next like generation nine will have an open world esque uh, system like legends Arceus where the map is split up into multiple areas or do you think it would be like Breath of the Wild, where it's just one massive world? The system that they have in place now for Legends Arceus is a solid foundation for that. I would prefer the, an open world where like you don't have to travel back to the village every time. Like I don't think they should do that. I think it should be a sort of it, it should be a, they should take another step towards Breath of the Wild, but not have this open thing where you can go to the eighth city if you want, like at the beginning. Pokemon needs to be linear still. Like, there still needs to be a path that the game puts you on. But having this massive 3D open environment like the wild area, like Legends Arceus, I think that is what needs to be concentrated on for the next game. Having the Pokemon walk around in the world, maybe even, like, showing the levels of the Pokemon, like, not having to go into a battle every single time, like... Striking that balance, I think, is paramount. And if they can nail that for Gen 9, I think we'd be in a really, really good position. But like, I think open world is the future. I don't think they can take a step back. Because like, look how people reacted to the Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl games when they came out. Like, I like those games for what they were, but still wasn't what I would have wanted for Generation uh, 4's remakes. That's what this game was, though. Arceus was the remake. It's still not the same, but I'm really happy that Game Freak was the one that made that decision to make this game because then they're going to see what works and what doesn't work and then put that towards the next game. Speaking to the open world, I don't think Pokemon should go open world route. I disagree. And especially because the way like you were describing it, Mateo, where like, it shouldn't go the level of Breath of the Wild where you can go anywhere. There still has to be linearity, but it should be open world. Then it's not open world, right? Like that That's not an open world. And the way I look at it is I actually like the structure of Legends Arceus. I like that the, the areas are separated. And sure, they could improve on the way you get from area to area. But I see the way is if they're going to keep it linear, if they're not going to make it completely open world, which I don't think they should, then what's going to happen is even if you could get, say, from the Obsidian Fieldlands to the um, Cobalt Coast, right, there would still have to be a very small access door with a guy standing there saying, you can't come here until you've completed something to keep that linearity. And if that's the case... I don't think there's a reason to make the world interconnected if you can only enter it from one very specific place. I think what would have just made more sense for this game and any future games is keep the areas self-contained, keep them apart, but make it so you don't have to go back to a hub to go to the other ones. Like Allow you to jump between areas just like fast travel, right? Like I'm in Obsidian Fieldlands, I can fast travel to one of the camps in Cobalt Coast without needing to go to Jubilife. Like, just a natural fast travel system of, like, you can fast travel between all the areas you've been in without needing to go back to the hub. I think that that's all they need to do. I don't think they need to, like, really connect the areas. They can, 
but I, I don't think it will ever really be open world. I really like the open world that they had in this game as well, because each area was big and a lot of them had their own separate set pieces and identities. Like, you know, for the Obsidian Flatlands, you had those big open and sprawling plains like you had in the Horseshoe Plains. And you also had like the, the big forest area where the Cleavor was. But like you go to each of the other regions stuff like Cornet Highlands, like I really enjoyed seeing all of those like ruined temples and things like that in there. Like, yes, it was just a big rocky mountain, but it had a lot of personality and stuff in there as well. Having a fast travel system like Giuliano explained would have been awesome. I feel like it only really made sense after you completed the main story, though. Yes, you were in an open world, but you were still following a linear story and you had to go back and forth a few times. But your player character would go out and do a mission. They'd be out there for like weeks at a time, just say. But you weren't really supposed to go back to base until you finished your mission. And that's kind of like how they, I feel like they were structuring the story. But like after you finish the main story, you should be allowed to do whatever the heck you want. So there still should be some aspect of like, okay, you have to return to the hub, talk to the NPCs that you have to do. Once you've completed your objective, then you can move on to the next area, which is kind of like how they made you do it anyway. With that context, the system that we had makes sense. But afterwards, they should have just given us fast travel between all of the zones. It would have made uh shiny farming a lot easier already like a lot easier than it already is i feel like it a lot of people think that they may have been devalued a bit with this game just like how easy it is to get shiny pokemon well i don't know about devaluing because like it's not like pokemon go where community days just straight up plummet the value of certain pokemon but i agree with you the shiny hunting of this game i think it's it's the most fun i've had shiny hunting since Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire and turning a corner and then you just hear the noise and then you have to go explore and look at all the Pokemon in your immediate surroundings that could be shiny. And then when you see them, it's like it's so exciting. That rush that you get is better than the rush you would get by finding them in a main game because you're putting a lot of work into it and it's better than just a random encounter. And you only get that if like there's Pokemon walking around the world and that's something I feel like they nailed in this game that definitely needs to come over to the main games. This game values the time you put in and it values the work that you put in. And that's one thing that Arceus I find has um, really done well compared to other Pokemon games in the past. It rewards you for the time that you put in. If you want to go in there and complete the Pokedex, yeah, it's one thing to go out and catch one of everything so you can get your proper ending of the game but it's another thing to sit there and grind out all of the research tasks to get all of the entries to get all of the um seeing all the forms getting your 10 star ranking getting a 10 star whatever it is is a complete waste of time though like it you the reward for that i think was just like ultra balls and rare candies like it, it was not worth it so what are your guys' favorite new Pokemon that appeared in this game? We got a fair amount, like, between Hisuian forms and alternate forms of legendary Pokemon, for better or for worse. But, like, what do you guys say is your favorite design new Pokemon and your least favorite design new Pokemon? Okay, I will start. My favorite one is a tie between Dialga and Palkia's origin forms. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get. I'm joking. I think it is a tie for. If I have to go like literally based off design, it's Hisuian Zorua, which I think it just 
fits Zora perfectly. But if it goes on Pokemon that I'll actually use, because I don't use first stage Pokemon, I do think it's between, for me, Hisuian Zoroark and Hisuian Arcanine, but I'm definitely leaning more toward Arcanine. But I do really like the shiny Hisuian Zoroark. I feel like the white and purple really works well for the normal ghost typing. And every time I see it, I'm, I really like it in those colors. Whereas when I was using the red one, something felt off. And I, re- I think that really connected the design to me. But then honorable mention goes out to Hisuian Typhlosion, who I didn't get to use because I was already going to have too many ghost and fire type Pokemon on my team, so I didn't pick him, and I really wish I did. On the, on the topic of Zoroark there, Jules, I feel like Zorua is better than Zoroark, because Zoroark, with like all of those like red splotches on it, like if it we're talking just about the base one, it looks like it has like a rash. It just doesn't look right. Yeah, and there's something about the red that I don't like either, um, and I couldn't put my nose on it, because I do like the design. I do like how intimidating and scary it feels. I don't know. I don't know what it is about the red. I, I don't see it as a rash, but something about the red just didn't seem right to me for the Zoroark. But I'm either way, I still think it's one of the better designs of the Hisuian Pokemon. But then in terms of the worst, well, there are many. I'll be honest, it's grown on me a little, but Origin Form Palkia. I was trying to avoid leaks. And I saw Dialga pop up on TikTok. And I was like, oh my god. I didn't even know this thing existed. I was like, that thing is so ugly. And I talked so much crap. I was like, to Mateo and Joe, who had seen them, I'm like, holy crap, that Hisuian Dialga is so ugly. Like, that, what an awful design. I'm like, I can't wait to see Palkias, because there's no way Palkias could be worse than that thing. And Mateo was just like, just you wait. And so did my roommate. And then when I saw Palkia, I was like, oh my god. Like, that doesn't even look natural. Like, that doesn't even look like a Pokemon. And it's grown on me a little, especially since the uh, the official art came out the other day. Um, the official art always makes things look better. And I see where they were going with the concepts. I think ultimately, Dialga's grown on me. I'm okay with Dialga. I can accept Dialga. It's not my favorite, but it's not horrible. But Palkia, it's like they made just one mistake. And it's they put those like shoulder blades up by his head, but there's no arms connected to them. So it looks like he's missing arms. Whereas if they had just taken those like pearl shoulder blades and put them on like his kneecaps, it probably would have looked a lot better. And like that's the only weird design thing. Because the design of the Pokemon isn't actually that bad. It's just it seems awkward because it looks like he should have arms and he doesn't. And especially for Palkia, who is typically bipedal, not quadrupedal, putting shoulder blades where there's no arms is going to make that lack of arms even more evident. And I feel like if they had just removed those or put them on his kneecaps, it would have made the design like substantially less incomplete. You know, like Dialga looks like proportionally like makes sense, even though it's like, not the greatest design, but Dialga doesn't feel like it's even a bad design. It just feels like they they did half of it, and then they just stopped. And they're like, okay, put it to print, even though it's not finished. Another thing Dialga has over Palkia is the just the colors. The blue and, like, the darker version of blue and, like, the silver that Dialga has looks a lot more sleek and kind of makes up for the weird shape that the Pokemon is. But Palkia is, like, pink and white, like... Those are two very different colors, and like they kind of clash between that and then the poor design that the Pokemon inherently has. It makes for like one of the worst Pokemon designs ever. 
It's just so yeah. bad. Just stick some beldums underneath the, those little shoulder nubs, yeah. and I think we're okay. I really enjoyed the ride Pokemon in this game. I know they're probably not called that, but it's just easier in my mind to call them that. And I want to say probably one of my favorite designs is probably going to be Basculegion. For a very, very specific reason. I was farming for Basculegion because uh, I wanted to flex on all y'all and get a shiny Basculin. And not only did I find one shiny Basculin, I found two. And one of them was a male, one of them was female. And I didn't know that they had different forms at this point. So I'm like, okay, I'm only going to level up one of them and get that uh, sweet green and purple Basculegion, which I think is a better color combo than the red also. And then Jules and Mateo were like, no, if you level up both of them, they have different, they, they look different. And I did not know that. So that was pretty cool just because it was special. I really like Voltorb. Not so much Electro, just because I feel like the Jolly Voltorb should have evolved into like an even more Jolly Electrode. But Electrode's just an angry boy, and I don't like that. And the Grass Electro typing is really good, too. I found that it was well-designed, and the the typing was fun. Yeah, mine are two that I knew I would I liked immediately when I saw them. When, when they first showed Cleavor off, I'm like, okay, Cleavor's definitely going to be on my team. I just love... Scyther and and Caesar just in general, and I feel like this is just another fantastic evolution for Scyther. So I put Clevo on my team, and I just never took him out. Then also Ursaring's evolution, Ursaluna. Yeah, it was a little bit ridiculous just to get an Ursaluna in this game, like how you have to get the find the item and then go to the Ursa's ring on a full moon. Like I think that was a little bit ridiculous. Like some of the evolution conditions for many pokemon this game are ridiculous but once you get ursaluna ursaluna is so cool i just i like the typing and also just the whole thing where like on his head he has the yellow sun and then like the two clouds as eyebrows i think that's really really cool when he stands up he is a beast ursaring and teddy ursa did i feel need an evolution and they're two fantastically designed pokemon already and ursaluna just fits and then just a thing where Pokemon that I didn't like, and we've had discussions of this in the past, I, I can't get behind Sneasler. Don't be mean. He's proportioned like Waluigi almost. His arms and legs are just too big. And Hisuian Sneasel is so cool. I just feel like Sneasler is just, it's not even an evolution of Sneasel. It's just like if Sneasel was like 20 years older, that's what it looks like. It yeah. doesn't even evolve. It just gets bigger. <laughs> As a fan of the Sneasel line, both Hisuian and regular, I'll tell you what the misstep with Sneasler was. I still like it, but I can criticize and critique its design. And most people say, well, it's too tall and lanky. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is the portrayal of that lankiness. So it's not the fact that it's tall and lanky. It's the fact that her disposition and her body language is like long poisonous claw, like on her hip. Like, ugh, like I don't want to be climbing this mountain. I, I have better things to do, which removes a, an important aspect of what Sneasel and Weavile are, which is like this little, like ferocious, like attitude. Like it's a different kind of attitude. Like Sneasel's kind of attitude is like, hmm, I don't want to like I like like shadow the the hedgehog kind of like attitude, not like angsty teenage girl kind of like attitude, and that's what the the energy Sneasler kind of gives off is. So I think that 
is one thing, and then the other thing is her eyes look very like tired and droopy. And I think if they had kept the kind of like weavile sneasel eyes, that also would have went a long way. But I still like the design. I still think it's of the four sneasel designs, it is very clearly the bottom one, but I don't think it's the worst. It just could yeah. have been improved on. I totally forgot to give my least favorite one, but I do have to correct you on something, Mateo. The thing on Ursaluna's head is not a sun. It's a moon. It's a full moon. Just like yes, how Teddy sorry. Ursa had the crescent moon and Ursaring mm. had the new moon. And I guess back to mine, my least favorite, I don't want to copy what Jules said and say alternate form Palkia, and I don't want to copy what Mateo said with Sneasler, even though Sneasler has grown on me. I really didn't like the new genie. Like, I feel like it just doesn't fit. Really? Enamorous? I did not like it. It's wearing a boa, and I guess the devs were having a little bit of fun by making it a snake also. So it's like a sentient snake that lives on this giant pink in a cloud Pokemon that flies around. That's supposed to be the nice one of the Jins, even though that's what Landris was supposed to be. They both are, because she's not meant to be a Jin, right? She doesn't go with the original concept. She turns them into a new concept. We've had these Pokemon for, like, what, 10 years now? With the Landris, Tornadus, and Thunderous? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just a little weird. They're like, okay, here's this fourth one that completely flips their convention and makes it a more of, like, a Chinese myth rather than a Japanese myth. It's like taking the identity of these Pokemon and it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's this new thing that completely changes everything. World of Warcraft tried that with Shadowlands. It didn't work. I, I agree with you and I disagree with you. The way I look at it is I don't see it as actually changing the lore of these Pokemon because... Again, like just like with all the Pokemon here, I think the intention is that they're all ancient Pokemon that don't exist anymore. So I think there's room to say that like in the modern times, in the current times, that's what Landorus, Thunderous, and Tornadus represent, is that what we learned about in Gen 5. But in this ancient time, there actually was a fourth one that um, gives a new context to what they were. But I do agree with you that she does stand out, because she does, like the other three have the same face right in the same like tails and like those things whereas she does like fundamentally looks different like she does look like while she's similar she is different yeah i don't like sneezler but palky is by far the worst like there's oh yeah nothing even comes close like it's sneezler then it's a massive massive gap and then it's palkia like, that's how bad Palkia is. Sneasler, even if you want to argue, which I still disagree with, but even if you want to argue that Sneasler is bad. one of the worst Pokemon or, like, the worst designed Pokemon in this game, I think if you were thinking about the worst designed Pokemon of all time, Sneasler debatably might not be on that list, whereas Palkia, you know, is on that list. Like, Palkia is yep. a contender to be the worst designed Pokemon of literally all time. Like, it's yep. not even this game. It's just, like... Yep potentially all 900 plus monsters like that might be the the stinker i'd really mm-hmm. have to go back and look at all of them to make sure but it's definitely up there it's probably in the top five for sure why is it always the pink pokemon that have all the bad designs gorbis <laughs> bruxish oh gosh Almamola. they're the stinker they're there's some stinkers. licky licky and they're all water right. hey you don't talk crap about licky licky licky's good so just to move on to our last point so um, in a potential DLC or sequel to this game, what do you want to see? Um, so you can answer both or either. Maybe let's stick to to actually let's stick to DLC now. If you have something to say about like what a DLC could be, I wouldn't mind starting this one. And I'm just going to reiterate something that I had said that would be a fun concept to 
to you guys before, and I'll just share it with the the listeners. But I actually don't think there will be DLC. I fundamentally don't think there's DLC planned, and that's because they often don't do expansions to the remakes because they move right on to the next gen. And I still stand by that. But if they were going to do a DLC, I would love if you went to like a new island, whether that be the Iron Islands or like the post-game island from the original Diamond and Pearl. And I would love for them to, in the same vein that Sword and Shield's DLC had the Galarian legendary birds from Gen 1, I would love to see Hisuian variants of the legendary dogs from Gen 2. I would love to see like Hisuiente, Raikou, Suicune. And I think that they would really work well in this setting as well. Especially if that island, for example, if they if they did do that island, um the post game island, like you could have Ante like in the volcano and you can have like sweet oh well then again, I guess not, because they might have different types. Yep. So I don't know what they would be, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So never mind. Ante may not be in the volcano. But I think that would be cool. I had a similar idea because um, there was actually one area in the main games that's completely missing in um, in this version of the game. Yes, we have that little sweet moment with uh, Shaman in the Floroma Fields area, and it did fulfill how the Floroma Town area itself was made, but we completely did not at all get any of the Eterna City stuff. Like that, like that, the Eterna Forest is just not in the game. And that entire, like, northwestern portion of the map, I think where Byron's Gym is in Canelav City, it's not there. The Iron Island would be a great addition to this, where you could add, like, that, like, northwestern area where it's a little bit on land, a mass of water. Like, so you have the, the little bit on land that represents, okay, where the Floroma and the Valley Windworks and all that kind of stuff, as well as Eterna City and Eterna Forest, where that is. You have this big ocean area, and then you have the Crescent Island, for um Cresselia and maybe you get like an origin form Cresselia or an evolution when it's in that area. And then same thing with Darkrai. And then you go also go to where the Iron Island is where you originally met, I believe it was Ryan. Riley. How could I forget about Riley? I do apologize to Pokemon Riley. And uh Canelav City, that was just completely not there at all. And it would be really interesting because this game really kinda like dove into like the catching mechanics, kinda like how Let's Go did. I feel like if there was a DLC, they should really double down and go into like the battle mechanics and maybe even do like a battle tower. And that's where the the post-game island could fit in. I really hope we do get DLC for this game because I mean, when you put so much time into playing this game, like and like I I still wanted to keep playing it. So like that's why I think they have to do something, I think. Like like if this game was supposed to come out last year, I'm sure that there were some plans at the very least to to do something. And like even if it's just one expansion instead of like the two that we had for Sword and Shield, like if it's like one small little thing, I'd be happy with that. And like I think it would probably be Canelave City like off to the west, like something that's off map. That's probably the best direction to go cuz like that can be its own thing and then the rest of the game could be its own thing as well. DLC wise, I think it would be a missed opportunity if they didn't do it. So, especially yeah. if it comes out in the next few months or something like around summertime, I think that would be a perfect time to do it because then if there is another Pokemon game coming out this year, I still think having a 5-6 month gap between those releases I think is plenty of time. Especially if the next Pokemon game doesn't follow this formula, um, mm -hmm. because then they are very two very different games. Ultimately, if there's going to be DLC for this game, I do want them to make it feel new. Like, I don't want it to be more of Sinnoh. Like, I wouldn't even mind us going to a different 
region or part of a different region, despite the fact that I don't love Hoenn. I think Hoenn makes the most sense. Wait, wait, let me finish. Hoenn makes the most sense for two reasons. One, because there's established like historical like titans there that work very well with the kind of similar setting. Like if you went to a part of Hoenn to, and there was like a little story around like primal Kyogre and Groudon, like that could be cool. But two, I think of all the Legends games that could be potential sequels, Hoenn is on the very very bottom. And I think the reason it's at the very bottom is because they already kind of explored that ancient kind of history of the characters in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. So I think it would severely limit what they could do in terms of things being new, as well as it being the most recent remake before Sinnoh. Like, I do think Hoenn is at the bottom of the barrel in terms of getting some kind of Legends representation if we get a sequel. To piggyback off of that idea of, like, what to expect maybe for the next Legends game, Jules, I want to say Gen 5. It, it yeah. It's the one that only makes sense. Well, it makes sense. so much Gen 5 love in this game. Yeah. And, like, Gen 5 is naturally next. And there's a lot that you can do there, right? Like... There's a lot of history in Gen 5 in terms of like... I want to see what Kyrim looks like in its complete form. Is it still going to be called Kyrim or is Kyrim just the shell that it shriveled up into after Reshram and Zekrom split up, right? Yeah. Like, and it would be like this... It, it could be like this entire like medieval theme. And I know that doesn't fit very well with what Unova was supposed to be because Unova is supposed to be kind of like the USA. And like having like medieval castles and having the plasmas and stuff doing all of that stuff, it doesn't thematically make sense. But it's Pokemon. Who cares? Yeah, they can like it doesn't need to follow our real world um, setting. Like it can very much be a medieval area, right? Like, and I think that would work very well. And then it could be really cool too because what could happen is like to get that dragon, right? Like, what could they can make it? similar to Arceus is like they can make like new forms of Reshram and Zakram, right? Um and maybe even Kyrim if they want. Well no, they already have the the fused forms of them. But it would be cool if like they do some kind of story where like the main plot again kind of follows like Zekrom and Reshram and you fight one of them at the end. Um and then maybe like near the end of the post game you actually fight like Kyrim, maybe Kyrim fused with the other one. And then, like, collect, yeah, and then you have to, like, collect all three of them, and that's actually how you create the the dragon, or something like that. Or it's the opposite, like, the dragon is the final boss of the main story, and then after you defeat them, that's what breaks it apart, and the post-game is about finding the pieces. And then you, like, to own the the dragon, like, you have to have Kyrim, Zakram, and Reshiram, and then you can, like, merge them. Or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. In a, in a sequel like Unova would be nice. I wouldn't mind seeing a Johto Kanto one as well. That would focus on like an ancient Lugia and Ho. Yeah, I would like that as well. That would be cool. And then Zyg- Zygarde could be a cool one too if they do um a Gen Six one. Like it's a lot of possibilities. Yeah, the ancient Kalos, like being able to like be there and see the ancient war when the king lost his um, Flabebe. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just to see that happen because we Those never like cool. they they have that model they have that flabebe model it's just not available i think those could all be like great things all i gotta say though is i don't ever want to play a game in ancient alola like Absolutely never not. what would be there nothing like jim's aren't even there in modern alola I, I think yeah that's what we have to do we have to go to modern alola once they have a proper pokemon league and proper gyms in the future um. <laughs> 
in the future, <laughs> future which would work because with ultra beasts and stuff but yeah no i think but in terms of just like in general like we kind of already talked about it a bit but what i do want to see from the next game however they do it is i want them to continue some of the trends like i love the fact that they're making old starters relevant again i love that i think that's so cool and i think if they do the next one you know do the same thing like pull three from different gens like give them new forms great um do that with some legendaries i would love to see chespin as like a proper knight yeah like like a chestnut as like a proper knight instead of like the blob that he was not even Pokemon related. What they did with NPCs in this game, like how they had ancestors of NPCs from other Pokemon games. Like there's so many NPCs from Pokemon that they didn't even use that they could have ancestors for in like an ancient time. Like that would that was fantastic in, in Arceus. There's so yeah. much potential and I just feel like it makes sense. And the sales of this game, the game deserves a sequel just from the sales alone. Oh, yeah. Um, I will say, I know this is kind of off topic, but should they do it in Unova with like kind of a medieval setting? I'm going to go out and say that the starters will be Charmander, Chespin, and Piplup. And that's because you'd have the knight, you'd have the king, and you'd have the dragon. That'd be so cool. But yeah, no, I think there's like unlimited potential here. And in terms of gameplay, I don't really think they need to change much other than like improve on it, right? Like maybe the next game does have a little bit more attention to those environments that were lacking. Maybe there is a little bit more connectivity between the areas. Um, Maybe they do add like some things that like some quality of life stuff like the the bags and even like releasing pokemon like i really want them to let you release pokemon when you get them like things like that like i think there's a lot of improvements and there's a lot of things they can add but ultimately this should become its own series i hope it's not like let's go because let's go sold very well and it never got a sequel and i just hope that this isn't the case here because unlike let's go which I was like, yeah, I'll I'll take a sequel because I liked it. This is like, I will be mad if there isn't a sequel. So I really hope they do. I really hope that they do make Pokemon Legends 2. Um, oh, can I give my theory, actually, that I was telling you about, Mateo? Oh, oh yes. shoot. I, that's what I wanted to talk about. I completely forgot. Right, let's do that. So this is great. So our fifth talking point is theories. It's really quick. Some little theories before we sign off. This is a nice little bonus for y'all. So, Gino, I want to hear your theory because I don't know what your theory is, but apparently yeah. you were telling Mateo some theory that you think that I, I'd i be interested in. So let's hear, and then I'll tell you yeah. mine. Uh, again, full spoilers if you've listened this far and you still don't know the main plot twist. Again, full spoilers. It has to do with Volo and Cynthia. So Volo's going on his quest, and he's trying to collect all the plates to remake the world in his image because he's a big Arceus worshiper and all that kind of stuff exact same pokemon team as cynthia in the original gen 4 games exactly the same team not exact same there's one change but yes the spirit tomb that's the first spirit tomb you see and i yes. think it has to do with that the, and like at the end after you beat volo he kind of is like oh i'm gonna have my descendants going and basically trying to do the same thing that he does he has some kind of sinister intent and i feel like and he's also wearing the same pendant as uh, cynthia and, and her tribe same music same everything and Cynthia herself is not like a treasure hunter, but she's like a ruined maniac going to different places and trying to figure out the creation story and doing all the stuff very much like her ancestor. I feel like it might have to do with Spirit Tomb or, or it might have to do with um, like she probably wouldn't have known about her ancestor, but it's one of those things where they have a very similar motive, but it brings them to two very different places. And I thought it was very cool. But yeah. 
Spiritomb being this being of like evil and malice and that kind of stuff within the Pokemon universe, I did find it very strange that both of them have this Pokemon, and that Volo mm-hmm. had such an, an evil quest. Very different than my theory, actually. Um, oh, really? I thought I thought we were having yeah. similar ideas. Very different. Um, so first of all, before I give you the main theory, I need to tell you a different theory that has gained traction on the internet, which is pretty much confirmed at this point. But one of the characters that everybody was wondering about, like who's their ancestor, was Professor Laventon. And the predominant theory about Laventon was that he is the ancestor of um, Leon and Hop from Galar, from Gen 8. Um, mostly because, you know, his toque is similar to Hop's hair. Um, it's a similar color to Hop and Leon's hair, and, like, his clothes are kind of reminiscent of them. And then he also has, like, like tan skin similar to them as well. There was, like, another piece of evidence discovered in the game that supports this, because um, the Pokedex entries are written from the perspective of Professor Laventon, and the Raichu Pokemon entry says something along the lines of its electricity is so powerful that it could take out one of the Copperaja of my homeland, which confirms that Laventon's actually from Galar. So that kind of positions him to be Hop and Leon's ancestor. Um, but anyway, back to my theory. So it, this started off as a different theory. It started off as there was like a point where Volo near the end of the game says something along the lines of like the ancient Sinnoh people. Um, and then it got me thinking like, what if the time rift wasn't sending them to the past? Like what if this is actually the future? Hisui is like the future. And then I kind of scrapped that. But then there's a lot of traction that, that gained around this other theory, which is so I don't know if you guys found any of the old verses, which are the poems. Yeah, I found all of them. So if you find them and you read them, um, it starts to become clear who wrote them. And the character who wrote them is Kojita, the old woman who also seems to be like an ancestor of Cynthia. But obviously, Volo is Cynthia's ancestor. Like, that's kind of established. So then where does Kojita come into play? In the old verses, they mentioned something very interesting, which is the Sinjo ruins. And Kojita mentioned something along the lines of, like, in the Sinjo ruins, that's where she was given, like, kind of like a message or, like, kind of, like, instructed by Arceus that she needed to wait for the one who would come through the rift to, like, kind of save the world. So there's this theory now that Kojita actually is Cynthia because the only canonical appearance of Arceus before this was in Heart Gold Soul Silver. And it was during an event where there was the Sinjo ruins, the ruins that connect Johto and Sinjo uh, and Sinnoh. Cynthia goes there and you witness Arceus give birth to Palkia and Dialga. Like you witness that. So the theory is that Following that, Arceus gave Cynthia a quest and was like, I'm sending you back in time and I need you to wait for this person that I'm going to send back in time through the rift so that we can like protect the past. And so Kojita might actually just straight up be Cynthia. But if they're already old verses by the time the player character collects them, how old are these verses? And if it's written by Kojita, like how old is she at this point? Well, if Cynthia was sent back at that point, she was about the age she was in Gen 4, so 20-something, and Kojita's clearly in her, like, at least 60s, maybe 70s. So if Cynthia arrived in Hisui, like, 50 years prior and made those verses and then 
you know, scattered them to the winds. Scattered them to the winds. Then they've been buried for fifty years. That's quite a long time. Who knows? I'll allow it. But anyway, so um, Mateo, I don't know if you have any theories. I do not. I just like listening. <laughs> okay. Well, then I think that brings us to the end of our talking points. So, Gino, why don't you take us through the sign-off? Alrighty, that brings us to the end of today's quest. If you liked what you heard today, hit that like, subscribe, or follow button below. If you want to contribute to the conversation, let us know any ideas for upcoming uh, topics or uh, icebreakers, or just share your thoughts. Leave us a comment in the comments section below. We do read all of them, and uh, we are looking to add a few more ideas to our hub hat. So if you have any ideas for future icebreaker topics, uh, we will definitely look at them, and we will prioritize them over the ones that we currently have. Uh, anyway, that's it from us here at the Hub World. I guess we'll catch you next time. Microsoft, make a new banjo game. See you, everybody. See you, everyone. <laughs>